1: brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com.
0: Hello and welcome to Bike Shorts, Bike Radar's semi-regular roundup of the latest news from around the cycling world. Today I'm joined very remotely by Simon Bromley back down in Bristol where I'm dialing in back home in Bonnie Scotland. And Simon, I'm actually on my annual leave just now, but I've dipped into my suitcase of courage to join you to get the latest roundup on the hottest cycling news going. And I've heard that apparently there's quite a big race on just now. Could you tell me more?
1: Hi, Jack. Yeah, it's a privilege. Thank you so much for phoning in on your your annual leave. I know, obviously, you've been out and about doing some monster bike rides, as anyone who follows you on Strava should know. (laughs) But, um, yes, there is a race on, and as you say, it's quite a big race, um, a little foreign race called the Tour de France. Some of you may have heard of it. Yeah. So there was a bit, obviously with all the kind of COVID-19 stuff that's been going on and the fact that cases were rising quite sharply in Nice, where it started, there was some people who were quite concerned that it wasn't going to happen, but thankfully it's all kind of got off to a good start. And, um, we haven't, you know, touch wood, we haven't had any problems so far. So yeah, it's, it's been really, been really good to see it happening. And of course, there've been lots of juicy tech stories.
0: Well, that is what we're here for. So, you know, juicy COVID tech aside, what would you say your kind of, uh, your highlights or or kind of trends you're seeing in the race so far?
1: So we're going, you know, we're going to do a, a wider list on this on the rest day on Monday. So, if you really want all the full, f- all the full fat scoop, as you like to say, Jack, don't forget to tune in to on Monday. But I'll give you a kind of a few quick highlights. You know, one of my favourite things I've seen is that there's the uh, there's kind of a crazy big sunglasses arms race going on, where and this kind of <laughs> k- kicked off with the Oakley Jawbreakers a few years ago. But now every brand is making a big, crazy sunglasses and. They're just getting bigger and bigger, presumably in an effort to outdo everyone else. And I love it.
0: Yeah, I have to say I'm a big fan of it. Bold fashion on bike is always something I'm uh, keen to see. Nothing will quite match uh, Sagan's antics with the uh, goggles on the podium. But, you know, the bigger the better in my eyes with the glasses. I actually had a discussion about this separate to racing with my dad just yesterday. And I was saying I sometimes wear prescription glasses and how much I would like if I could get a giant goggle-like set of cycling sunglasses that were prescription, but sadly, no such luck for now. But, you know, at a very practical level, like, they do make quite a lot of sense. They look a bit daft, but, you know, it's more protection for your eyes. There's less small bits which are going to get pushed into your eye socket or something if you crash. Like, I personally think they make a lot of sense. Um, But there is no denying, they do look a little bit silly. And this week, we've seen new ones from, now correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, we've had 100%. We've also had KU and another of a number of other big brands uh, releasing Sunnies this week.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I, obviously Oakley are doing kind of limited edition colorways for riders like Igamba nal And of course, they had that pro-only uh, one they released a few weeks ago with the, with that Japanese artist.
0: I don't know if, you, if you've you ever seen those, Jack, but uh, they were very hard to come uh, by, yeah. weren't they? Very hard to come by unless you're an Instagram influencer like <laughs> me, in which case they end up in your inbox and on com, And also... Well, my large stuffed bear, Dunkel, because I didn't <laughs> have anybody else to model them in the house. Um, they're not the jazziest glasses of all, though. Of course, in the race uh, before this call, you showed me some truly, truly awful ones. From who was it again? Christoph. Some diamond encrusted. Yes, Christoph is wearing some five thousand euro diamond encrusted ski on or she on glasses uh, on the podium. What, what do you think to those? Are they a bit bit showy for you, or would you rock them?
1: they're a bit showy for me. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of, um, diamond encrusted things in general. Uh, that's more my wife's game, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, that was awful. I shouldn't say that, but that is true. She, she, you know, she is more into that stuff than me. Um, but Julian Alaphilippe was also wearing a a 125,000 euro watch or something this week. So I think there's a bit of a penchant for these things in the Peloton at the moment.
0: Wow, who knew there was money in professional cycling? <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, let's.
1: So the the other thing I think that's probably more interesting to people listening to this podcast is that we've seen a kind of a number of uh, riders and even a couple of wins on clinchers in the early part of this race. So mainly from um, the Quickstep team, Julian Alaphilippe won stage two on Specialized very very rapid turbo cotton clinchers.
0: To give some context to those of you that don't know in most i mean pretty much all pro road racing for now uh, people are still on tubular tires which are one-piece tires with a tube sewn in that are glued onto rims and that's been the status quo forever and ever and ever in road racing and the, the main advantage that's always cited is that you can supposedly ride them if you get a flat and they can make a lighter system overall compared to a clincher um This is separate, of course, to the whole road tubeless debate, which I'm not going to touch on because I think I've talked about it in every single podcast I've been on with you. But clinchers from a performance point of view, you know, can have significant benefit, can't they, Simon?
1: Yeah. And so I think they've probably most likely been running them with either a latex tube, which is usually the lowest rolling resistance in the tubes, or a kind of ultralight butyl tube, which will kind of come close to a latex, but perhaps won't beat it but maybe slightly easier to install because obviously latex tubes have a tendency they can they can sometimes get pinched a little quite easily by the tire but um but yeah there are still performance advantages to be had by running a kind of ultra light ultra supple clincher system uh, purely because the you know the, the tires require less energy to deform because the casings are thinner and more supple and they don't have to be glued on like a tubular, and there can be hysteresis or rolling resistance introduced by that glue. And so it's
0: a, it's a, you know, it's a very marginal gain, but it's a gain. It's a gain nonetheless. And the Tour de France and other races are one on gains. Now, obviously, with a clincher tire, it's something we're all familiar with. It's, it's something you can actually repair by the side of the road. Do you think that all racers should be made to use clincher tires, carry a spare tube and introduce repairs as part of racing in the Tour de France? What do you reckon Simon? Well, oh, I mean, you know, that we yeah, there,
1: there's always there's plenty of historic images of uh Tour de France riders having to carry Um, spare tubulars, bandolier styles, and obviously a few famous stories of riders being disqualified for not repairing their own forks after a crash. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for it. I mean, in another of these podcasts we did, George, our editor, illustrious editor, George Scott, said he didn't want to see... (laughs) didn't want to see the race lost because of a kind of mechanical failure or an equipment error. But, you know, actually, I'm not too bothered about that because I think equipment choices are one of those areas where you can, you know, if you want to risk running very lightweight tires and risk a puncture, that's that's a kind of performance choice that you can make. And, you know, if you don't want you know, people say, oh, we don't want the race to be decided by a puncture. Well, if you don't want punctures, you can all race on Continental Gator Skins but I don't see anyone doing
0: that. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm probably with you on that. It's always sad, you know, you, we are all human at the end of the day to see a mechanical come in the way of it. But, uh, you know, from our perspective as consumers, if these things didn't happen in the you know midst of racing, then I'm sure, oh, sorry, these problems, I should say, then perhaps technology wouldn't move at the pace that it has in road to tech. So food for thought. Now, what's your third and final, we'll say, highlight from the tour this week?
1: So, a third and final highlight, and and as I said, I will stress that there will be a full article with way more than three tech highlights, but I think the other one is that we're still seeing that weight really, really matters to pro teams, you know, even down to little things like we're seeing quite a lot of pro teams running with Shimano's XTR mountain bike disc brake rotors rather than Shimano's Dura-Ace disc brake rotors, and as far as I can see, I've seen some people commenting that this was due to availability, but given that Shimano Dura-Ace R9-1000 has been out for a few years now, I just don't believe that. I think it's more to do with the fact that the XTR rotors are 18 grams lighter per rotor than the Dura-Ace ones.
0: I think you're probably right there. You don't think it's got anything... No, in fact, I was going to say, because I remember when disc brakes were famously introduced and then not introduced and then banned, and whatever... I remember one of the things that they wanted to introduce was rounded edges on routers, and I presume that the Jura Ace routers must have adopted that by now. You don't think it's anything to do with that?
1: No, I believe. I mean, you're certainly right that that was an issue early on, but I believe that they all have the sort of rounded edges now as standard. I don't, as far as I'm aware, that's kind of gone away. Um, yeah, it, go. I, I, I think Just it's death. I think it's purely to do with weight and. Um,
0: what do you think about
1: that Simon? as
0: a man of great compromises, what do you reckon Well Is as it something one of, should care about
1: as one of the <laughs> lightest members on the bike radar team, I can pretty much <laughs> definitively tell you that it doesn't make you a faster bike rider really it you know obviously for the pros when they're you know on a summit finish, they want to know that they have the lightest bike possible because if they get dropped, they're gonna blame it on the fact that they were you know 200 grams heavier we know we see them throwing away empty bottles because of this you know they get rid of food they they get down and the marginal gains are obviously very important but i think for your kind of average rider these these weight these weight savings don't make any difference compared to the kind of other gains that tend to get left on the table by a focus purely on weight does it
0: be possible to say because if our remember correctly the xtr rotors don't have quite as deep uh, heat things on the inside edge of the rotor so is it possible that they may be giving up on performance because the durace ones have an almost entire uh, heat shroud on the inside of it maybe they're more aero than the xtr ones maybe they're all idiots simon <laughs> what you're basically saying <laughs> i'm not sure if i would go that far
1: but yeah, you're right. I'm sh- there. There may be a, whether there's an error again there or not. I'm not sure because obviously those rotors are sort of spinning in the wind, and, and the air is probably going to be very messy because it would have broken off the kind of leading edge of the tire. I think what's probably more likely is that for a kind of non-professional racer, the XTR brakes probably don't have as good cooling capabilities as the Dura Ace rotors. But obviously, for the pros who use the brakes far less than your kind of typical amateur they probably aren't cooking their breaks too often. So probably not a problem.
0: There you go. I ask a stupid inflammatory (laughs) question to try and make people laugh and you give me a serious (laughs) answer. (laughs) Who's who's the greater of the two journalists (laughs) amongst us? Another thing we should mention, um, last week I rode Vetus's new Energy Evo cyclocross bike. Yes, that is true. Cyclocross is still a thing, though it seems to be off the cards for the most part now. In fact, Come to think of it, I couldn't tell you a thing about what's going on for the upcoming cyclocross season from a World Cup perspective. But certainly here in the UK, as a traditional winter sport, as we're still in lockdown for the most part, uh, there's basically nothing going on for the, the season. But nonetheless, these bikes are coming out and the energy is is honestly one of the, my favourite bikes I've ridden this year, I reckon. Um, and I published a full review on BikeRadar.com. I don't know if you've heard of it or if we've ever mentioned it before. It's definitely one to check out because I'm very pleased with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I read your review and and it's kind of interesting because, as you say, you know, with the influx of gravel as a kind of genre, cyclocross bikes have sort of, you know, cross was very, fa- very, very fashionable uh, maybe you know, four or five years ago. Uh, And it's kind of taken the back seat now. But you obviously said in your review that this bike is perfectly capable of getting onto gravel paths. So it still should be, you know, even just because it's not named a gravel bike, this is a very capable bike, isn't it?
0: Totally. I mean, this one, I think, if I remember correctly, it's forty mil tires as the maximum clearance. Now, for gravel, that's great because you could chuck massive, big, chunky tires on there, really comfortable on rough surfaces. If you are using it as a cross bike, that massive clearance means you've got enormous mud clearance as well. So in a sport which is defined by mud, that's a really important thing. And then you're kind of baking in uh, versatility with that. Another thing I really like about this bike, and it's a bit of a trend we've talked about on the site, but this is, you know, a top-end carbon race bike, albeit, you know, a cross bike, but it does still have the full capability to run full cover mud guards, And I think that is a thing that should absolutely be applauded because if you were looking for a single bike, which bear in mind the majority of people probably are, something like a carbon genuinely lightweight cross bike or gravel bike makes a lot of sense. And then when it comes to winter road riding, you can slap some mudguards on. So as a kind of versatile package, I was really impressed by it. I've really enjoyed riding it. It's got the nimbleness of kind of a cross or road bike, but without that capability of a gravel bike. And uh, as I move into the, the latter half of my annual leave, I'm really looking forward to taking it for a good bike packing expedition up the east coast of Scotland, which no doubt you'll see on the Bike Radar Instagram. Um, but yeah, definitely one for me to check out from the past week. Anyway, we've got plenty more to come throughout the rest of the tour. As always, there's plenty more on bikeradar.com. Subscribe to our newsletters, our social channels, this podcast. Review it, rate it. You know we deserve five stars. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful weekend when it comes around.
1: Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.